This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. You're listening to Living Green, everybody inspired to succeed. I'm your host, Meredith Medland, and if you'd like to follow along with the show notes today, you can go to livinggreenshow.com, or you can also visit everybodyinspired.com. Today, we're here with Jennifer Freed. She's a sassy psychotherapist, a brilliant psychological astrologer. She teaches sexual wisdom to teens, and she's an author who writes about ultimate personalities and guru-like cats. Dr. Jennifer Freed is going to zero in on what makes life a joy to live. I'm right here with Dr. Jennifer Freed, and our first subject is astrology. Now, you have a little different take on astrology, and it's very new to me, so I just want to make sure our listeners know that this is, this is not a laber, labyrinth that I'm accustomed to, so all new. So if you'd start from the beginning, let me know. Okay. First of all, I'm a psychological astrologer, which really differentiates me from a lot of astrology out there. I'm not looking to give you the answer about who you are. I'm here to show you a roadmap that gives you your best potentials, how to utilize your strengths and talents, and approach any challenge with the most finesse available to you. Also, hopefully, I ask you really good questions that make you more aware of what your passion and desire is to live a more joyful life. So this is going to be pretty exciting because you pulled my chart today. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And that'll be a, a nice way that our listeners can learn or, learn, uh, learn along with all this. So I did a little research on astrology before you came. So I wouldn't be this totally empty zone. And I noticed that there are a lot of sites on the web that you can go to and plug in your birth time, birth date, and information and where you were born. How is what you're doing different? There are many great astrology sites, so people, please keep going to them, because what you can learn from an astrology site is the ingredients that are in your chart. You can say, here's my moon, here's my Mars, here's my Venus. What a computer cannot do, thank goodness, is get the whole picture and how all your parts go together. A computer cannot get your soul and how all this is filtered in to make your unique package who you really are. A really good astrologer trained for many, many years. This is not a quick science. How, how many years have you been trained? I've been working as an, a, a psychological astrologer for 30 years. So it's a long time. And I teach a diploma course in astrology that's a weekend course here in Santa Barbara that takes four weekends. And that gives you the very basic information to be able to cast a chart and know what you're looking at. So are you considered an expert in your field? Yes, I'd be one of the top people in my field just by the fact that I've been doing it so long and have been practicing all this time and have seen thousands of clients by now. Now, you like to see your clients in person. That's a huge preference for you because you like that tactile touch and the energy and the connection that you get through being with someone. And, I mean, astrology can also be a really sensitive thing because you're going to tell me a bunch of stuff about myself and what if I don't you know, what if I don't agree or I don't like what you're going to say? That could be kind of dangerous for me. I mean, maybe. I think actually I've had a lot of astrology clients come to me because they have felt wounded by a very stereotyping and labeling reading. Because when you're looking at a chart, you're looking at the map of somebody's soul. You're not talking about where they'll end up 
or what they're going to use to get there because you can have very high skillful applications of your birth chart or very low. You can take one aspect of your chart. Let's say in your chart, you have Venus and Mars squared by Pluto. Now, your listeners have probably no clue what that language means, so I'm going to break it down. Mars is your will, Venus is what you want, and Pluto is unlimited amounts of power and control. Well, when you have those all together, you can have a complete egomaniac trying to get only her needs met at the expense of everybody else, or you can have somebody that's decided to take all this power and control that's in tension with what she wants and how she moves, and you can become a hugely impactful, transformative agent. And that's how I see you, obviously. But you have a choice. Astrology isn't your fate, so to speak. It is your potential. And there's one way to go about it. There's another way to go about it. And you have a million options on how to use your chart. Can you talk a little bit more about the actual matrix of astrology? Yes. What you're looking at when you look at a birth chart is where nine planets are at the moment you're born from the place you're born and how mathematically they're connected to each other. And those are what we call the archetypes. So there's the moon, which is your inner nature. There's the sun, which is your outer image and your ego sense. There's Mercury, which is how you think and communicate. There's Venus, which is how you attract and what you want in relationship. There's Mars, which is how you get things done. And there's Jupiter, which is how you come into grace or benefit in your life. And there's Saturn, which is how you approach discipline. Now, those are the main planets, but then what signs they're in, which are the signs Aries, Taurus, Gemini, tell you exactly your style in each of those categories. That's super helpful. Now, give me a little more information so that I'm not viewing through this lens of like, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. Like, this is just another, you know, sort of ENFTP Myers-Briggs profiling system that is effective, but also like, oh, I just want to be individually me. Well, what's really special about this typology system, it's been forever in time. Every native culture has had this system up until we had electricity. And also once the um, patriarchal religious systems decided that astrology was made from the devil because the, the pope and the people of high rank wanted the power themselves to tell people who they were. So they didn't want them to go direct to the cosmos. But before that, all cultures in some form or another, recognize that the cosmos, that the planets in motion had something to teach them. Okay, so that's number one. But number two, it's so precise. Astrology is so precise that if you tell me your birth time and it's off by three minutes, it can change your chart. It's a very precise system. The pop astrology you see in the paper is just the sun sign. It's one planet, it's in a sign, and then it's typecasting you. That's not what I do. What I do is a very intricate look into how you're made up and what goes into you. And then also, it's not to limit your choices. It's to say, Meredith, you have a son in Taurus, for her listeners. And a son is your basic identity. In Taurus, it means you're in your body. Your body's essential to your sense of self-knowledge. How your senses are and at what level you're operating your senses at is going to determine how you feel that day. 
Then your moon is in Capricorn. That's your inner nature. Capricorn moon is a person that's driven by some ambition. You really want to succeed. Success is a key word to you. The need for approval is the key uh, theme for you. Look at the show, the title of our show, right? Living Green, Everybody Inspired to Succeed. Now, what your listeners may not know, unless they've really looked at your picture well and been around you, is you have cancer, the sign of cancer, on your ascendant. The ascendant is how you physically appear to others. That's your sort of persona. A cancer ascendant is the ultimate divine mothering energy. So when somebody actually sits with you as I am now, what they get off of you isn't necessarily your drive and your body knowledge. It's your nurturing. It's like you want to just sit with you and be in your lap and have you pet, you know. It's it's a much more mother energy. And also the way you physically look, which is you're very strong, very muscular, but very soft and round. It's not a very, like, narrow, linear look. And that's a cancer rising. I mean, that, that's amazing. I mean, I guess that, I mean, that definitely, so you're luring me in and my, you know, letting go of my filters. I like that a lot. So it sounds like this um, sort of cosmic map that you're essentially interpreting is a lot like what I learned when I studied shamanic bodywork. And so when I first went into studying, it seemed a little strange. I was studying with a man named Fred Mittower at the Pacific School of Massage in Mendocino. And he was really into the mapping of the body, the left side, the right side, the feet, I mean, every part of the body. And how he would treat his clients was exactly based off that map. But he also had 25 years of bodywork experience. So what he started to notice that there were certain patterns that denoted certain things. And so when he asked what were really, quote unquote, intuitive questions or questions that the clients would just be amazed at, what was really happening is it was like his his experience through time. Is this like that? Absolutely. The best astrologers, psychological and otherwise, have a huge database of experience. So by the time I'm talking to you, reading thousands of charts, I know many people that have Venus and Mars conjunct in Gemini. So that's one part of your chart, but I'm going to associate maybe people that I've met in Washington, D.C. or New York that have the same configuration, and it will tell me more stories. There's more stories available. Yeah, and that's where that archetype uh, archetypes come, come in. Now, you have an MFT, Marriage and Family Therapy uh, License, and you also have doctor in front of your name. Yeah. So what are those qualifications? I have my doctorate in psychology, and I've been a marriage family therapist for about 25 years. So I both am a I teach psychology at Pacifica Graduate Institute, and I have a private practice as a psychotherapist for the last 25 years as well. And do you use astrology in that practice? Good question. I use it if my client wants me to. So this is not something that needs to be forced upon anyone. If somebody says to me, astrology is crap, I'm not interested in astrology, a friend, client, otherwise, fine, I have no attachment. I think anybody that is passionate about some system that's given them a lot of meaning doesn't need to push it on somebody. Mm. I think we only push things if we're insecure. Uh. I don't need to. I've been learning from this for years. It's like sitting at the feet of a great master that, com- that continues to give you knowledge. I don't need to go brag about that to anybody or sell it. 
I, I totally understand there's many analogies. Martial arts is a huge analogy for me in my life. Like, if you're interested, great. If you're not, that's okay, too. And it totally works for me. Right. Yeah. And I, I do think the best teaching is by example. So I also love my martial arts. We have the best martial arts studio here in Santa Barbara. And I feel like anything that's really working for us is a very quiet sound. Uh-huh. We don't need to broadcast. I mean, I'm glad to tell you about it because you were interested, but this isn't what I need to be doing because I have so many people coming that want what I have to offer. Awesome. Well, my heart is certainly opening to the experience. And I think my last question before we really dive into it is, I'm, I'm thinking back to times when I've had readings done that were, I guess they were called like intuitive readings or Akashic record readings or um, or just, hey, you should talk to this person and pay them a certain amount of money because they're going to, you know, tell you about your future or guide you or something like that. And and when I first left, left the corporate industry, I had money to be able to do that and play with that. And that was really just my way of getting connection with people at a time when I hadn't really started a significant spiritual journey. That was my entry point. So... Some of those people that I met with were both accurate, but also, it, it you know, they had crystals all around their room, and they were a little woo-woo and a little nuts, and probably didn't have all their bills paid on time, and, you know, just a little woo-hoo. And so I bring that to the listening, like I'm putting you sort of in that bucket, but then when I'm looking at you, and I read your bio, and I see what you've done on the web, and what you're doing with teens, and sexual wisdom, which we're going to talk about in the second part of the show, it doesn't match my experience from the past. So how can you help both me and the listeners separate and put you into a, you know, a new bucket of sorts or a, a new place? Well, I'm glad that I break your stereotypes <laughs> of astrologers. Uh, I am originally from New York City, and I'm Jewish, and I come from a highly intellectual, rigorous, cynical family. <laughs> and I, therefore, am very cautious about anything that I learn. And if it isn't useful and practical, I'm not into it. So what you're sensing from me is, boy, yeah, I am into this spiritual body of knowledge, but only if it's here on earth, very useful, very practical, and leads to something results-oriented. So I have studied very hard the the field of psychology, and you, it's hard to get a doctorate, as people well know. You have to write 500-page paper, etc. But also, when I approached astrology, who was my first teacher at age 20, 21? Lynn Stark, who had her PhD in the history of science. So she was both an astrologer and a scientist. And you will find, if you do really any historical research on astrology, a lot of scientists were into astrology. It wasn't so divorced in the past. So I think hopefully what you're getting is that not only do I pay my bills on time, I'm into having a good lifestyle and money, and I'm really high, highly interested in results, responsibility, and being grounded. Yeah. It's really important to me. So I don't believe that heaven and earth were meant to be separated. I think we're here to bring heaven to earth, and I want to be a vessel of that, so to speak. Excellent. Well, then we've met on the same page. <laughs> so let's let's hear about it. I just want to let my listeners know, hopefully this is going to be super interesting for them too. And you'll learn a little bit more about astrology. And then when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about some of the other things that you do, including how you are helping women, young women, young girls, teens, um, learn more about how to express their sexual energy, wisdom, and, and what's going on in the environment today. So here we go. 
Okay, so when I'm looking at Meredith's birth chart, again, I've got in front of me a chart with a lot of symbols on it that takes at least a year to even understand what those symbols are, but let's get right to it. So I said, she has a son in Taurus, very sensual, very body-oriented. Her identity is going to always be about her senses, her physical presence, and the development of her body. Her moon sign, which is her inner nature, is in Capricorn, which is about the will to succeed, the ambition to succeed, and to be recognized. Her emotional need is to be around people that affirm and acknowledge her efforts. And she also wants to leave a legacy, which is why Living Green is such a perfect title, because she wants to do things that aren't short, quick fixes, but make lasting contribution, because that gives her emotional satisfaction. Now... Here's an interesting part. Those are two earth signs, sun and Taurus, moon and Capricorn. Very earthy, very sensual, very practical, very grounded. Then we have Mars, her will, and Venus, her desire, in Gemini. Mars and Venus in Gemini is the signature of a woman who likes to talk and wants to have really good conversations. And because these two planets, Venus and Mars and Gemini, are in the 12th house, this is the house of the collective unconscious or divine consciousness, if you will. So what she likes to talk about are things that bring people in touch with this unitary consciousness, this cosmic sense of order. So Venus and Mars and Gemini is a very charismatic, attractive communicator. That's another part of Meredith's chart. She has Saturn in Gemini in the 12th as well. And Saturn in everyone's chart says where your karma is. Where's the work? What do you have to work on? And in Meredith's chart, Saturn in the 12th house means her work is her conversations with her higher self. That's where her work is. How she talks to herself on a daily basis and what ways she interprets her life through her what we'll call higher self, divine self, God self. It's those words that she has to work on on a daily basis and then help others to do the same. Questions? Any questions so far? Oh, I just have a little bit of a jaw dropping here. I'll just say for fun that, you know, the show title I almost used was Leaving a Lasting Legacy because my personal mission statement is to leave a legacy of the lessons of our life through digital media. Wow. So you see, this is pretty accurate. And you guys need to know I've never met her before, although I feel like I've known her for years. Now, the other really cool part is this cancer rising. Your rising sign, all of our rising signs, dependent on the moment you were born. And her rising sign is cancer, which means her lead motivation is to nurture and to be nurtured. And it's a water sign. So Cancerians, those of you born in late June or early July, what you're really here about is to mother, whether you're a male or a female. And mothering isn't about literal babies sometimes. It's about making people feel safe, connected, comfortable. Mm -hmm. And she has Jupiter in Capricorn oppose her ascendant, which means when people are around her, their first sense is, I can be more me. I have permission to be absolutely safe with this woman. Meredith's chart is the type of person anyone would come to confess anything to. So that makes you great as a uh, radio podcast personality. And also if you were on TV, this is also a really good sign because it would make people feel very warm and welcome by your presence. Now, you have Mercury and Aries conjoined Chiron. Chiron in the chart is where the wound is that lets the light in. 
All of us have been wounded. All of us suffer. That's the fact. What we do with it is up to us. Meredith's particular wound has to do with learning and thinking and particularly issues around being headstrong or even having head issues mm -hmm. because it's Mercury Chiron in Aries and Aries is a fire sign and is ruled by Mars and has to do with being rash and impulsive. So Mercury with Chiron, Aries people have to watch for being told mean or rough things when they were growing up or if they themselves have ever said anything rash or harried in anger, having to repent for that. Ah, very good. Well, you know, it's interesting in our next break when we talk about young girls and sexual wisdom that for me, I grew up as an overweight child and I also was pregnant at 17 when I was in high school. And so I gained weight, too, during the pregnancy and ended up giving the child up for adoption. And so, you know, that definitely rings true because that's something that I had to take a lot of time healing. And I am sensitive to things like that, definitely. So these are all is very interesting. You know, there's a definite, accurate, accurate reflection. I mean, as you're saying things, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, good. I'm glad that you're recognizing yourself in this because that's what it's meant to be, is to have a reflection from the cosmos interpreted through a very humble vessel, which can be flawed, but hopefully to give you a sense of, this is me, I am in divine order, and I'm applying myself to the best of my ability. And if you're not, you get another chance. <laughs> I love it. It's a great guidepost, too, as far as, you know, where to where to filter and place attention. I want to let you know that the thing that actually, I think one of the pieces that shifted, the first is meeting you and knowing you and getting a little bit about you. So just your, who you are and what you bring to the table. But the second is that I'm aware that we have an energetic body, a physical body, all these different bodies. And when you talked about this being the cosmic body, it's not one that I necessarily have researched or learned about or, you know, I think, um, gosh, I mean, Tony Robbins has bodies, uh, body work systems have bodies in my uh, massage training. They had bodies. They didn't have bodies in the Internet industry, but, you know, <laughs> but so that's where it, it is like, oh, right. Like, of course, if we're all interconnected, why would we not be having like a galactic or um, cosmic uh, chart or taxonomy uh, what's that called Tax taxonomy, taxonomy yeah. yeah yeah I think this is a cosmic map it's your cosmic birthright to come in and have the lessons that you want to learn it's completely up to you whether you learn them or not and at what level you apply yourself but this is a cosmic body map it's your psychological organs so to speak and how they are laid out and my belief is that when we're each born and incar incarnated we choose exactly what we're here to learn. And the astrology chart just says, here's what you said. Here's what you contracted for. It doesn't mean you have to play it out in any narrow version. It's up to you. You can be as florid or as dull as you want to be. Well, I'm looking forward to continuing to play it out. It's right on. And the thing that I love the most is that what I hear from people more than ever is, wow, I can't believe I just told you that, or oh my gosh, I feel so comfortable in your space. And that is why I love being a talk show host. And that, I mean, that's, that's what I'm here to do is really bring intimacy and authenticity to my listeners. Because what I started to realize as I was listening to even mainstream talk show hosts and things that there was such a layer of like bullshit happening. And it was frustrating to me because I know that we can be really successful 
and we can also have deep pain that we can have categories of life that are going really well and really challenging. And so as I've, you know, even interviewed, you know, big, you know, big names, the Al Gore's, the Will Smith's, things like that, or people that are big in their own arena, but they just ha- don't have that level of publicity. I actually really love that transformative piece to really roll in and find out what, like, what's really, what's really going on because it brings out um, our humanity as well as that gift of spirit that emanates from from people that I'm interviewing. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. I thank you for the opportunity to share and be in your presence of all of this welcoming, nurturing energy. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, we're going to take a break to thank our sponsors. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk to Jennifer a little bit more about the Academy of Healing Arts for Teens and Family. And that's AHA. We're also going to touch just briefly on her book that's coming out in 2010 with Penguin Books called Stanley the Cat. And we're going to find out a few different questions, one of which is what brought you to the show Good Morning America and why you were on it. So here's a break to thank our sponsors. My name is Meredith Medland, and I'm your host right here on Living Green. Hey, this is Sean Daly, host of Green Talk Radio. Green Talk helps you navigate the maze of green and eco products on the market today and make smarter lifestyle choices at home and at work through informative and entertaining interviews with industry authors and experts, as well as executives from innovative companies around the world. Find Green Talk Radio on iTunes or at personallifemedia.com. Green Talk Radio, environmental stewardship through smart consumption. Green Talk Radio. Welcome back from the break. I'm here with Jennifer Freed, and we're going to be speaking now about the Academy of Healing Arts for Teens and Family, also known as AHA, and you can find that on the web if you go to www.ahasb, as in Santa Barbara, dot com. Jennifer, tell us about it, how you started it, and what that connection is to what you're now doing with uh, sexual wisdom and, and teen. Thank you. Well, uh, my partner and I started this program 10 years ago in Santa Barbara as a nonprofit program because I have, as a psychotherapist, worked with teens and families for 20-something years. And what we noticed is that in schools, etc., people were getting a lot of academic training and a lot of book learning, but the most important thing in my mind for young people's education is to learn how to be socially, emotionally intelligent human beings. Because what do we really all care about at the end of the day is who do we love and who loves us. And frankly, I think the most successful people don't just have a degree by their name or a lot of money in the bank, but know how to have intimacy in their lives. So we started this program called the Academy of Healing Arts for Teens. We invited about 15 of our really talented, creative friends And we built this summer program based on learning all about theater, writing, dance, etc., but with the whole idea of being novices, not experts, and coming to it to learn to be more alive and to connect with each other. The summer program was so wildly successful, it has led us to be in schools, after school, etc. And finally, I wrote a curriculum, an original curriculum, on character, compassion, creativity, and sexual wisdom for teens and young adults. And these are the components that I think are essential for healthy people. Why not start young? Now, is this what I saw on the website where you had, there's a video that you can buy, I think it's $50, and then there's the workbook that's 25 This is what you're talking about, right? 
Well, there's two separate things. We have a video that is a tape of our summer program that we did. We have a manual, which is if somebody wants to start a program, we have that. And then we have four workbooks, which is something else. And you can get that at www.indepthpress.com. And those are the workbooks that I created to actually work in schools or have people work at home on these issues of character, compassion, creativity, and sexual wisdom. That really turned me on when I was looking at the website and I saw that. I love cycles or frameworks or things that, you know, not only can I read about what you're doing or people can experience, but they're able to be able to see it spelled out and when it can be. I also want to make sure our listeners know that if for some reason you're not in front of the web right now, you can simply just go to livinggreenshow.com and then go to the show page for Jennifer. And on the right-hand rail, all the links we're talking about are there. So they're all in one place, but we're just giving them now because I know a lot of people like to surf the web while they're listening to podcasts. So let's talk about the sexual wisdom component. Well, I did my dissertation for my PhD on young women and sex. So girls that were having intercourse, sexual intercourse from the ages of um, 13 to 15. And what many people don't know is the percentage of girls that are entering into these sexual relationships at that age have increased by about 30% over the last 20 years. So girls are having puberty earlier, like between 10 and 12 often, and then they're coming into their sexual desire, etc. at an earlier age. And my feeling is they know pretty much nothing about their soul sexuality. They may know how to have a physical connection, but there's so much missing. So I was very propelled through my research to then start groups for girls on sexual wisdom. So I've been doing that for a while now, and through our program, which is nonprofit, all these girls get to come for free. And it's a really mixed group, and there's a lot of attitude, but the girls are compelled Because what I'm finding is there's a lot of sexual activity and hardly any intimacy and hardly any knowledge of the female body. Wow. So I've got all these questions running through my head because... um, uh, actually, what was happening is I was thinking, I was reading your website and I was looking at um, some quotes from the website and the things that stuck out were um, right around an interview you were saying uh, you just right out talking about blowjobs and girls, young girls and blowjobs and what they're giving to the boys and what the boys aren't giving to them and that they um, don't necessarily know how to masturbate or what to do or what just actually what their genitalia looks like. And so all these things in that last moment, I was like, oh, gosh, can I say all that stuff out loud on the show? And what a trippy experience that must be, because those are all like real life conversations that parents need to have with their kids or or maybe the parents don't need to. But some someone's going to like hook them up with that information, which is what you're doing. But wow, those are charged topics. Yes, and I believe every young person needs about 12 adult role models, not one or two. I don't think it's always the best place of the parent to be talking to the girl or boy about their sex life because it's at that exact same time that boys and girls are trying to get more privacy and actually differentiate from their parents. I do think it's important to have conversation. I'm not saying that. But I think it's great to have other knowledgeable, mature adults talking about sexuality so that their pool of information isn't rap music, isn't, you know, completely bizarre pornography. I mean, all the young people I work with have seen tons of porn because we know that's what's on the Internet. What really 
is the highest grossing industry on the internet, you're looking shocked. It's porn. And every kid I know. But for kids, I mean, I'm looking shocked because I didn't know that um, kids were accessing it so much. It isn't for them. But you know, and I know, every other day I get a, a, uh, some kind of spam saying, you know, make your penis bigger, get your breast this, whatever. The kids are getting it too and they click on. Oh, right. I mean, I'm remembering my exposure to porn, you know, was just as a babysitter with somebody's Playboy in their bathroom or something and being, you know, horrified and interested at the same time. But yeah, I guess, you know, there was no web then. So it wasn't, it just wasn't accessible in my uh, experience. Yeah. And what I talk about with the girls and the boys, because also we work with boys too, is just what does it do to your psyche to see so much graphic sexuality without connection even implied? So how are you talking to these women about the difference between intimacy and a, uh, let's see if I can explain this. So what I mean is you could have intimacy with another woman and you can touch and feel and pet their hair and all these things. And it's still in the kind of in the circle of um uh, non, uh, non-lesbian like exposure, not or is is not bisexual, but it's intimacy. Mm-hmm. Okay, then you can have intimacy plus sexual behaviors that equal bisexuality or les- being lesbian. Mm-hmm. And that where that line is is what I've experienced is different for everybody, and it's different at every age. And so, what are you doing to teach them kind of right touch or what's you know how to differentiate those boundaries for themselves? Well, I think the most important thing about our work is we mostly ask questions versus teaching. So we ask them, how do you know when it's turned into a sexual relationship versus a friendship with healthy, erotic touch? How do you know when it doesn't feel good to you what's happening? And how do you address it when that happens? So in other words, all of us really intuitively and instinctually know what feels right and what feels wrong. But if people aren't asking us to elucidate that and translate that and put it into words and state our desires, most young women are repressed and shut down around that. So our groups are really get them to Most adults too. Probably most adults too. Yeah, you can't believe when I put out my workbook, I had some adult friends look it over and they go, I can't answer these questions. Because, yeah, you know, oh, I'm, I'm sure. asking, you know, what do you fantasize about? What, how do you touch yourself? You know, questions that actually help empower us to make healthy sexual choices. If I know what I want and I know what feels right to me, I'm going to be much more likely to get it than if I'm not even checking in. Mm-hmm. Like anything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it is like anything. But see, sex has taken this whole taboo, you know, subject. It's either highly overrated or highly underrated. So how are you doing this with teens and not having backlash from the parents? Well, the parents have to consent to have their daughters come, and then it's confidential. So it's not like the girls are going home and saying, and -and so-and-so said this, and -and so-and-so said that. And frankly, because I'm not trying to promote tons of sex, I'm trying to promote intimacy and healthy choices and relationship, I think parents are very grateful to me and who I co-lead with that we do it. So it just sounds very edgy to me. I like edgy. I I love edgy too, but then when I think about children and edgy, I'm not so okay with that. Well, we start at age 14, and whether we like it or not, they don't think they're children anymore, and they're already fooling around. So would you rather have them educated 
and edgy Mm -hmm. or in the dark and fooling around. Now, there were some statistics about women in sex or or intercourse, girls in intercourse. What were those? Well, just saying that girls, by the time a girl's 14, 30% of girls now have had intercourse. That just blows my mind. Oh, goodness. It's a good thing I'm not um, a parent and a, a, a parent that's an active parent right now. It's a, it's a lot to take in. I mean, I'm so glad that you're offering that service. And it seems like I'm pro doing that for someone else. And I cannot imagine being a parent and having to do that right now. That's probably why I'm not doing that right now. Well, I, looking at your chart, getting back to that, I looked at Meredith's astrology chart, you would make a profoundly good mother and you'd know just what to do. Because I am now offering workshops all over the country on the sexual wisdom weekend workshops for mothers and daughters. And the mothers keep asking me, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And I said, be yourself the example of a woman who's empowered, in touch with her beauty, in touch with her grace, has creative outlets, and has men around that think of her with respect and awe and treat her that way, that's the best message you can give your daughter. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I loved in an interview that I read that's on your um, website with Mama Gina was um, that if the moms can, um, if, if the moms can express those things, but also if the girls can find things that give them the same turn on that sexual turn on gives them. And that's what you mean by the outlets. I so find that same thing to be true for myself, whether I'm building a website in iWeb or, you know, producing some sort of media experience. Like I, I have the same level of sensual excitement that I do in my artistic endeavors than I do in the bedroom. Well, what I said in that interview and here again is that reproductively, we're birthers. We make things. So when we get in touch with that generative energy, it doesn't have to be literal children, but as soon as we are creating things and bringing things out from our being, we are in the life force. And it is the exact same libidinal energy as what attracts us to make something with another human being sexually. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is if girls are dancing, if they're scientists, if they're into math, anything we do passionately enlarges our capacity to be much less needy, grabby, insecure when it comes to sex. Awesome. We're going to talk a little bit more, a little more about you personally in our last segment. And before we do that, Good Morning America, what was that all about? You're on the show. I was on Good Morning America for the work I was doing with teens many years ago. It was called the Youth Work Project, the Media Project, and I went around to three different cities in California and helped young people make their own videos at the time of preventing crime and drug abuse. And they made them. They were the actors. I helped them, and we produced it. And it was that program that got a lot of recognition because then once these videos were produced, these young kids would go into schools and they would show the other kids and have discussions. Mm. So how did that moment, that appearance, which is, you know, national press and exposure and excitement, all sorts of things, how did that shift or reframe all the things that you were doing up to that point and have you make very laser-focused choices in the future? Well, now you've gotten into my personal life, which is my father was an actor, my mother was in public relations. So I grew up with somewhat of an aversion to mainstream publicity. So when you say, what did it do for me? I had a great thrill doing that program, and I've done other programs, and I always get thrilled because I like to share my knowledge and... Then there's another part of me that's like, so what? It's not, it's not the point. The point is sharing the knowledge. It's not fame. Now, if 
in the rare occasion notoriety goes because people have really done some important work, I'm all in favor of that. But recognition just to be recognized has no interest for me. So it's never really shifted me in any way, to be honest. Yeah. No, I, we always want the honesty, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that. I'm looking forward to getting a little more personal when we come back from the break. So we'll do that right now and take a break to thank our sponsors. And uh, when we come back from the break, we'll learn a little bit more about Jennifer Freed's personal life and what she's up to uh, in those roads. So if you want to learn more about her, you can go to jenniferfreed.com. And again, you can always find the show notes at livinggreenshow.com. And if you want to learn more about the show or other things that I'm up to, everybodyinspired.com so lots of URLs to discover thanks so much for listening here's a break for our sponsors listen to Beauty Now the intersection of cosmetic surgery longevity and biomedical innovation for confident decisions in preventative aging on personallifemedia.com Welcome back from the break. So Jennifer, here's one of the things that I want to know. So I know that your partner is a woman and that you've both had experience being with men. So um, how do you define what is cheating with an, when you're spending time with other women and what's not? That's a great question. Well, it's interesting because one of the reasons I'm with my life partner who is a woman is because we both really strongly believe that a person is who we're connecting with, not a gender. So that's really important. So I, we don't define ourselves as lesbians or even bisexual. We just love who we love and we're so grateful to have found each other and been together 13 years. We both are very passionate and very jealous. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman flirting with us. If it feels threatening, we're going to tell each other. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really matter about friendship with men or women. We both have lots of men friends and women friends. It's just if there's that extra spark between us and somebody, we'll both know it. I mean, we're just so close. Uh, and then we'll have to discuss. And so one of the things that I learned when I was living in, um, well, I was living in uh, sensuality communities in San Francisco is one of my pieces of history, uh, studying a lot of Vic Barranco's work. And one of the things that I learned was that um, jealousy in, most often was the inability to experience someone else's pleasure and feel positive thoughts toward them and enjoy the, you know, enjoy the experience to allow them the freedom to do that. Do you agree? I think that's it in part, but to speak personally, because I've done so much work on myself, my jealousy stems almost exactly from whatever insecurity and inadequacy I feel. So really, if I see my partner enjoying a man or a woman and I get jealous, it's almost directly because in that moment, I think I don't have what they have. Yeah, you're feeling less than in that moment. Yeah, yeah. and then I got to really work with it, and then I get really tough sometimes. Well, if she were to like them better, then that's fine, because I'm fabulous the way I am. You know, I have to do a lot of self-talk to get out of that, because honestly, if my partner wants to take a dance class or learn cooking or something where really joy and pleasure is available, mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, 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 I'm the most supportive partner. But if there's a sexual edge between her and somebody, I'm not for that. 
<laughs> I guess we're not we're all not for that, are we? <laughs> well, no, okay. some people well, so I, I'm digging monogamy right now. I'm in a fairly new relationship, and we're going to the Midwest on a 10 day tour to visit each other's parents. So I'm pretty I'm pretty psyched about that. So tell me a little bit about your history and how you got on this path. Like, how did sensuality open up for you as an option? Well, one of the reasons this whole work with sexual wisdom is so important to me is one of my absolute true loves of life. I mean, on a cosmic, mental, mental, physical, sexual level was in junior high school. I fell madly in love with this boy. And to this day, I really get that it was just so weird that it happened at such a young age because we really were magnets for each other. And because I had that big opening at that age, and I really couldn't talk to anybody about it because who would believe me? You know, because they, oh, you little cute, you know, whatever. I think it made me terribly lonely in that period of my life because I had this most magnificent opening of my entire life and no one to understand it. And luckily, I didn't get pregnant. I didn't have any negative, negative consequences. I just had that. And so that's really propelled me personally to be this advocate for having conversation, having information, having knowledge, not degrading or trivializing what happens to young people when they fall for somebody. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, because it's a huge... Uh, connection with God. I mean, for me, when you're in love with somebody, yeah, and you had that at such a young age. Wow, no processing time available for you. No, it really was an internal journey because I had to make sense of it on my own. I didn't have any frame to understand it in. But I didn't let go of it. It really did stay with me and help me as I grew older to ask questions. And I started my spiritual path in earnest at 18. So I knew by then there's something more to this life than all this ego stuff and all this drama. I want to know more about my spiritual nature. What are some of the elements that make up your spiritual life? Well, for me, astrology has a huge part in it because it's this cosmic awareness that I'm living in each and every day. Another is movement. I'm really big into movement, martial arts, dancing. I'm also a poet. And the way my poetry comes is right from the divine. I mean, it's hardly any work that happens with that. And also my spirituality has been influenced a lot by Buddhist meditation and retreats, silence, art. I think of my spiritual life as much more of a Dionysian approach, which is through the pleasure-joy principle than through the suffering and obeyance principles. Before we wrap up our show, I want to talk a little bit about that. So you have a commitment to joy, living life joyfully. When you find yourself in traps where that's not happening, what are three tools you use to make a shift? I'm smiling because this is one thing that's funny between my partner and I. I know for me, and it's not true for everybody, that when I'm stuck, I need to really release some feelings. I am a huge, loud crier to the extent that she'll start cracking up. (laughs) No, really, because it's like I I just really let it go. I know stuck for me is is unprocessed feeling. It's literally energy. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be big crying. I'm going to write something really passionate, uncensored, that just gets whatever out. And if there's any incomplete communication, of course I'll make that. But usually for me, stuck places have to do with a cap on my vitality. So I've got to let the roof off and let it come out. Mm -hmm. 
Where does uh, truth and authenticity, not not necessarily, uh, authenticity is not what I really mean, hidden, hidden feelings, not necessarily hidden secrets, but things, uh, um, omissions. <laughs> Where does that play a, a role as far as communicating and expressing those feelings? I've learned a lot about containment from my partner because she's built very differently than me. I'm a big let's talk about it and say it everything now and she's very much into let's wait and see if it really matters. So I've learned that from her over all these years and so I don't think of it as secrecy or privacy so much as some things I don't want to be reactive to because now I recognize not everything has to be spoken in the moment. Let's see in four hours if it's still there. And what I find, having lived with her and worked with this, is a lot of things really are just fluff in the brain that don't need you to take some big action on them. Perfect. So Jennifer, when we look ahead at the next three months, if we were going to flash forward ahead in a magic time capsule that was looking at all the, uh, the stars, the astrology, uh, what would be complete for you in the next three months? different things that you're birthing, not necessarily that the project's complete, but if we were sitting here on this couch in three months and you said, I've done this, this, and this, what are those three things that have been activated? I've really thought about this lately. I'm starting my radio show, which you can all access on voiceamerica.com, and it will be Wednesday mornings, 8 to 9, and it's my platform to share all this knowledge that I've gained through these years, and I think there's a point to it, and I want to get a really big audience and create an enormous dialogue about it. So that'll be the first thing. So we'll be able to go on the web and take a look at your show or listen to it. It's a call-in show. Listen to it live on uh, Wednesday mornings. Is it Pacific, 8 to 9 a.m.? Or, yeah, 8 to 9 a.m. Pacific. Okay, so that's number one. What's number two? I'm really happy with my life. I've been actually thinking about this lately. I am living my dream. So I think the next thing I want to do that's been percolating is once this radio show is off and running and gets the acclaim that I want it to, I want to actually teach people this combination that I feel like I've been really blessed to understand, which is dream your dream, but have the guts to do everything it takes to make it come true. Because I think the secret was a great first step, a lot of what I want. But the part it left out is the effort. And I think way too many people want instant gratification and don't understand the beauty of effort. They really want to stay away from effort. And I want to teach them effort is where bliss is. Mm, I like that. I'm all about that action or the, you know, you got you to gotta pump the biceps in order for the biceps to be pumped. <laughs> all right. That's awesome. So what about number three? Number three, I think it's always for me because I'm so red hot, passionate speaking person. I always want to learn to be more patient. So I like days the best when I feel like I have all the time in the world and the person that's speaking really slowly and not getting their job done, that I still love them as much as the person like you that's on it. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you for the acknowledgement. You're certainly on it too. So I, listeners, I hope you had a great time today. This was super awesome. Thanks so much for sharing uh, my chart with me and my listeners. It's super cool. If you guys want to find out more information about Dr. Jennifer Freed, make sure that you go to our website at jenniferfreed.com and also check out that new show coming out on Voice America so that I know that's going to be awesome. I've got some and I have a secret inside scoop to some of the things on the show. So definitely want to check that out. 
In the meantime, if you were super inspired by her astrology reading, you can come to Santa Barbara and do one of those in person for less than $200. You can spend an hour with her and she'll hook you up with all the things that you need to know. And if you have any questions, you can always email me at Meredith at livinggreenshow.com or you can check me out on Facebook and that's Meredith Medland. Jennifer, thank you so much for taking your time to be with me today. I super appreciate it. And um, I I intend that you'll, uh, or I hope that you'll continue living in joy today, yeah? Yes! (laughs) Awesome. I'm Meredith Medland, and you're listening to Living Green. For more podcasts like this or other podcasts on the Personal Life Media Network, you can go to personallifemedia.com. I'm your host, Meredith Medland, and I'll be back next week with more exciting shows offering ways where everybody can succeed. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.